Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Just Two Dudes Reading Theory. I'm Chris. I'm Preston. And this week we are reading Gilles Deleuze, Occupy Without Counting, Boulez, Proust, and Time. And this is different. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> so we spent a lot of our time doing psychoanalysis, we read some horror, and now we decided to do something completely different and now for something completely different yeah and um so the point of this is first of all that we're going to introduce two delusian concepts that are originally birthed if i remember right in capitalism and schizophrenia which are the smooth and the striated mm. which sound like nonsense things that we made up but no they're real theoretical concepts that are going to actually be fairly intuitive in a certain sense once we start applying them to music and we are not talking about graphic design no but we sort of <laughs> the are only, only other way i've ever heard those two words together is creating a shape right in graphic design and i think smooth edge striated edge i mean in a sense we are kind of you know we are yeah. so in a certain sense and we are going to be using these as if they mean at certain points colloquially what they mean but mm. he means it in a slightly different way and he maps it onto Boulez's concept so Boulez defines uh two basically types of music in a sense um counting to occupy space-time or occupying without counting and so the example I would give is when we're counting music usually it's in a time signature so something like edm is going to be in four four very counted and you're going to be adding instruments in at the hypermetric level at regular intervals so every two bars you know i'm doing pretty good here yeah yeah and this is what Deleuze is going to call striated. Mm, yes. And on the flip side, we're going to have the smooth, where you can't count in the same way. You're not going to say, oh, at this measure, this person comes in with this rhythm, and at this measure, this person comes in with that rhythm. Instead, you're going to be defining it based on completely different characteristics, accumulation, events, dissipations becoming animal a series of of becomings that aren't necessarily tied to some common time or other time signature so curious yeah the um the piece you had me play on your thesis i i don't know if i can really pin down what that falls more on the side of counting to occupy or occupying without counting well, and if you think about it, so for everyone there I, uh, listening, I'm a composer, and so we chose this because both Preston and I have a background in music. I just received my PhD in music composition, and Preston, this semester, just what? graduated jazz guitar yeah, performance? Yeah, uh, Bachelor's of Arts in jazz performance. So a lot of this essay lines up probably more than any of the other things we've read with our actual field of study, and yet... So, <laughs> I'm curious if it was a help or a hindrance to have the heavy musical background, because I had a hard time escaping musical constructs basically. constructs yeah. of it. So, like, the expanding this beyond, oh, this is a great essay on how to make good music, but this is theory, so I know that there's more that uh that Deleuze is getting to here oh yeah and I think that like I think that let's start by giving a good example of um striated so these are not binaries in the sense that Deleuze is a philosopher of becomings we are growing intense becoming animal becoming woman becoming other we're not necessarily concerned with binaries such as the old school notion of gender being man and woman. Because um, how can there be a, a becoming woman in a flipping binary? It's, it's a series mm. of spectrums and not fixed binaries. And so, you know, in this essay, Deleuze is not telling us that 
music is striated or music is smooth or this piece is that or that piece is that every element combines together in what he calls a diagonal which is a very delusian way to describe it but personally a rather insufferable way to describe it um it'll only get worse from here this is actually one of the more straight ahead delusion essays we're gonna do so in Boulez's world we're gonna focus on one aspect of Proust which lifts right over into music which is this in Proust the motive is at first associated with a landscape or a character like a signpost but it then becomes the sole varying landscape or the sole changing character so Deleuze is not as concerned with your personal identity and is more going to be concerned with the ways that different characteristics float around I mean for example to read a little bit further all of Proust's work is made this way the success of loves, jealousies, slumbers, all detached from the characters so well that they themselves become infinitely changing characters. Individuations without identity. Jealousy one, jealousy two, jealousy three. Mm. And that's probably already, to anyone who's not read any Deleuze, a great moment where they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and let me give you an example. So... In the great 19th century novelist Henri de Balzac, who I, I love, mm. uh, he has this great interconnected series of novel cycles, uh, 90 over 90 novels and writings and short stories called The Human Comedy. But if you read more than two works, what you'll see is that each character becomes entangled in monomania of some species. So like... One character gets obsessed with money, another character gets obsessed with um, not spending money, another character gets excessive, um, you know, and, and, and so they all, there's this repetition. It's the painting. The I painting. mean, everybody's obsessed with the painting, but for different reasons. So obsession becomes the underlining. So the th There's literally an obsession one, two, and three in the masterpiece in regards yeah, to that's the actually, painting. Yeah, that's actually a really beautiful point, Preston, is that in... In the one work, the unknown masterpiece, you can, instead of tracing characters by their identity, you could trace it by the characteristic being obsessed. Oh. And then each character gets latched onto it at a different point, like a face hugger from I mean, Alien, I guess. Shit, even directly connecting to this, yeah. not just obsession, they each are a different type of jealousy in regards to the painting. Yeah, so instead of identity... Or like what we would call in Lacanian terms the imaginary. I identity for Deleuze is just a series of shifting symbolic characteristics. Like, oh, this thing becomes that, oh that thing becomes that over there, and then it roves around and they all become They don't have names in it either. They have like characteristics, don't they? In the Balzac they have names. The ones in that, I thought it was like the painter. Oh, oh yeah, no. no, they have names. Yeah, that's right. They do have actual names. They have names, but still a good point, I would argue, because we're more focused on the role. Master. Oh, who's going to become master? Who's going to lose mastery? Who's going to become master? I remember all of it, but I can't remember their names for the life of me. I never remember any of Balzac's names, except for a couple, obviously, amazing standout characters. But the point is that I don't think Balzac, in my reading of... I've only read, like, probably a third of the human comedy is oh only 30 of them <laughs> yeah but like <laughs> the characteristics of each character there's going to be a great deal of repetition between novels if you background enough to like jealousy monomania one character mm. gets obsessed with just accumulation uh gobsec and the money lender and so if you think of literature that way which is very differently from how literature is taught Right, because because what's one of the number one chief de chief values that we supposedly have in literature is character development, right? Like it's oh. right, like that's like that's your you know did did it have strong characters? Deleuze comes in God, it's and like doesn't. One of my biggest complaints with TV shows a lot of the time. Yeah, but hmm. it kind of gave me my own little thinker there. I've never really thought about that before. Yeah, like it's like literature without characterization or or more more accurately, don't you think that like what characterization is for a writer like Proust to Deleuze and to Boulez is a series of rhythmic 
iterations that oh. revolve around a landscape or and and they're all revolving at different rates so one goes a b and back and forth but one goes a b c so they're not lining up except for at different points it's like the clave in bossa like three against two beats Actually, I think it's exactly like the Kama in Because the, the, every once in a while they line up, but for a lot of it they're kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, or or um, another another example is where the rhythm section, the rhythm section of a punk band, <laughs> that's a silly phrase, <laughs> the guitar, uh, the drums, and the uh, lead guitar are... Usually striated. One, four, five, one. Sometimes lingering on the five to give it every you know you know. So you have these these chords that come back imminently striated. But even in music like that, there's always an element that evades such a clear marker. Often in punk music, it's the vocalist, like um. Henry Rollins in Black Flag is not striated to me. He's <laughs> and he's uh, what Deleuze says irrational time. You know, it's not this fixed thing or, or some other law or and so the vocalist is there. But in other bands, it's not the vocalist. In Green Day, it's the drummer, right? In Green Day, the drummer is is better than everyone else. Dude, Blink One Eight Two. Is the biggest mind blowing one for me there. Mm -hmm. Travis Barker, arguably one of the best drummers living right now, plays for a pop punk band. Yeah. And it's bizarre. And it's bizarre. And it also is something that the lay listener doesn't always notice as much. I don't think that when you listen to like a Green Day, you don't, a lay listener doesn't always notice the drummers doing interesting things that are not always lining up with the beat or at least invigorating the striated parts. There's always something that doesn't fit in good music. And I think that that is where we get to our diagonal. It's never just like music is striated or music is smooth. It's always a mix. Um, and on the smooth side, I think, I think we should explain a little bit more like music that's more smooth. Um, my example for people to go check out would be go listen to Ligeti's Atmospheres. It's rov roving sound masses where you're not counting one, two, three, four. You are in this cloud of notes. And the conductor may even be in some of these pieces that are called sound mass pieces beating time, but they're for the musicians to know where they are. It's not for the listener to count. You would never hear it in a time signature. You would hear instead... Accumulation. Usually dissipation. on this stuff, they're yeah. like counting one at best, right? They're not giving a pattern. They're just keeping the tempo, essentially. And usually the tempo in sound mass music from the 60s, 50s, and onward is like quarter note equals 60. And it's not quarter note equals 60 because um, that's just the rhythm of the piece or the speed or the tempo. It's because... That's one second. Yeah, that's it's all just, it is. It's a clock. <laughs> it's yeah. a clock. So you have a clock. So you know, oh, after a minute, the flute enters, going, and then flute two, and they might be playing the same lines, but what you hear instead of measure one, measure two, is you hear accumulation. The piece, the um, the knot piece that I watched that you had the three guys playing. That was smooth. Yeah. So I wrote a piece called A Boromian Knot, which was an interplay between three people on stage under the heteronym Perrin Williamson. And they are constantly back and forth at different rhythmic rates, doing different things based on events that are listed on a piece of paper. But you would never look at those events on the piece of paper and go, downbeat. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think in a sense, that's great. Like, like, this is really... The first two pages of this essay, I, I go... I'm just kind of like, yes. That's that's a really great way to divide up music. It's a, it's taking something from Boulez, who's going to know more about... Infinitely more about music theory and modern music than Deleuze would be able to, and lift it over into more general terms. So instead of talking about just music, 
now that we have smooth and stri- striated, we can talk about the difference between roundabouts and streets. Mm, you know, yes. now we can, since we have smooth and striated now, and I think it's that elementary motion where we can do that. Whereas I don't think in Boulez's measure to generate relationships or implement relationships without measure implies anything about street signs. No, no, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, yeah I, I, well, I mean the space time, and I think with the roundabout, I, we could apply the counting, but I, I don't think it's in the same Maybe route that we're yeah talking about music at all. Maybe um, we could say that what Deleuze is doing at the opening couple pages here is he's bringing Boulez out of pure music and into a broader discussion about time. Mm. How we how ex- time can be generated and how time is experienced. Ooh. Because I'm going to let you know that when Deleuze does talk about striated versus smooth, we have some pretty loaded implications here that he doesn't specify. Yeah. So hard so there's a there's a heavy implication that melody is smooth and harmony is striated because in the world of music our terms would be vertical versus horizontal. Right. And I don't know, how do you feel about that? Is that really how we as musicians would want to talk about this? I I can see the connection because I mean, if you're, I don't know, I mean, for me, I think a lot of it comes down to, like, the way you're composing something, because I think that you can compose based upon your melody being the striated part that is dictating the time movement, essentially, and then the harmony is then, you know, sculpted around it. Yeah. Like a lot of, well, most top 40 music, someone's writing a melody that fits language and then the harmony fits in. But I guess, I guess it kind of makes sense. So he uses this incredibly, incredibly loaded metaphor, metaphorical language. He says, the unity of the voyage is not the vert. Oh my gosh, excuse me. The unity of the voyage is not in the vertical roads of the landscape, which are like harmonic cuts, nor is it in the melodic line of the root. It is in the diagonal from one window to another that allows the succession of points of view and the movement of the point of view to be joined in a block of transformation or duration. And like, on the one hand, I'm like, great. On the other hand, I'm like, Good music has both smooth and striated. Yeah. And, I mean, even on a simpler level, good music has harmony and melodies that complement each other, and that's what creates music, is the combination of melody and harmony. Like you, yeah? Yeah? Y- yes? Sure. And like, <laughs> And it's weird, though, because he's also really heavily implying that the side of the smooth well maybe this is maybe he's not implying this but i would argue this that the side of the smooth is more liberated in 20th and 21st century music you know eco listening where you go out and listen to the trees and there's a trombone in the woods mimicking the wind there's Mm. there's that's you know there's a side of the smooth where you're not counting and instead you're occupying space and more fun chaotic one have you ever seen the guy trying to play fly to the bumblebees while being attacked by bees no but that's amazing we're checking out it, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't go well yeah i guess using a different one of deleuze's terms like rhythm in this music is different it's dictated by some other source right like like okay the bees uh, sting you at different points and affect the music and that's <laughs> rhythm <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's that's rhythm and that would be on the side of the irrational, right? Like it's not rational in the sense of um, regularity imposed by a rhythm, rhythmic mm. structure. It's it's regularity imposed by whenever the bee feels like it fucking wants to sting you, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, 
one thing I would give him credit on the uh, the harmonic being horizontal, at least from like a uh, the harmonic being vertical. Or yeah, sorry, harmonic being vertical, melody being the horizontal, um, and you know the harmonic being the striated part of that is. I mean, if you're talking about jazz standards, that's it's a contrafact. So yeah, can you explain to everyone what a contrafact yeah. is? So contrafact, which is you know super common, and not just jazz, um, but it's where you take a pre-existing or you know well-known chord progression because you know there isn't that many ways you can combine yeah you know 12 tones but um you take a pre-existing chord progression and then play a different melody that fits those chord changes over it um yeah super popular in like the bebop era um but that's an example of what I would think of as like you're using fixated parts. Yes. The smooth is the melody because the melody is the like creative input on behalf of, you know, the yeah. arranger, creator of the contrafact. Um, and it's the combination of the two that literally make the dialogue. allows the succession of points of view. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, and I think that, like, I, out of context, I think that quote would be really helpful in, like, a history of music theory course to talk about the debate that's happened for hundreds of years mm. between if harmony originates melody or melody originates harmony and all that lovely jazz. But I think that, like, so he, he writes about the smooth. A smooth or non-pulsed space-time detaches itself in turn from the striated one. It only refers to chronometry in a global way the cuts are indeterminate of an irrational type and the measures are replaced by distances and proximities i'm gonna stop there uh so there's a song by slater kinney called modern girl and the song elements are all normal uh i forget the tune whatever but uh the song is normal and it's about uh the singer who's a woman feeling like she's part of this modern world and I watch my TV, da 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 da, the whole entire this entire world. Um, but as the song goes on, the lyric shifts into more negativity and how she feels alienated from the modern world. But the smoothest element is the fact that the guitar feedback and noise begins at zero and gradually, as the song goes on, becomes mm. white noise that fills the whole sonic spectrum and overpowers so the band. Clever arranging. Yeah, and I think that like that interplay between the band's elements of trying to keep up the rhythm as the noise hits and the fact that the noise is eminently smooth, you can only talk about it in terms of comings and goings, increases and decreases, um, overpowering versus being underneath. And you can't say that the white noise element has like a rhythm, but you wouldn't say that it's static either. Mm. You're going to have to show me this tune. Yeah, it's a great tune. Uh, we might put it in the description of the episode as a way of teaching the concepts, actually. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I think that, like, the end of the essay ties it together really well. But I also think that we should get to one argument that he makes as to why we're doing all of this. Which is that it's he this is only an eight page essay, and in it he argues basically for an entire point of all art <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> he goes, the problem of art, the correlative problem of creation, already something to talk about, is the problem of perception and not memory. The music is pure presence and calls for an extension of perception to the limits of the universe. Expanded perception is the aim of art or philosophy, according to Henri Bergson. And so we have his argument here now why we're talking about these concepts of the smooth and the striated, which is that the smooth and occupying it without counting, he argues that you have an enlarging perceptive capabilities 
And that for him is the point of art is in expanded perception. And I just want to ask you a question. You hit me with it. Let's say it's a bold claim. Let's say an eight-year-old comes to you in a lesson and goes, what is the point of art? And you cannot say, I don't know. What are just some thoughts you would give your student? Oof. So, the boldness in the claim that, like, art is about perception, I I guess it kind of comes down to how much you're going to pull apart perception the memory part i kind of have issues with i, um, I think it's my the one part of the essay that i just disagree I, with. Uh, yeah i so one thing that i like especially like an eight-year-old somebody younger who i can't just unload all this shit on i would say i mean it's it's a way to um communicate something that your words are not going to be able to properly express this idea feeling thought you know it's yeah yeah that's a that's a very that's kind of like the simplest way that i would put it and i would say something similar to a kid where it's like well you know you when you don't have anything to say but you feel great you burst into song or you run around and art is a way of expressing something that you otherwise would have held in or would have directed somewhere less positively maybe even um Mm, i like that too yeah so like art as a extension of perception to the limits of the universe for music so that's a bold claim about specifically the capabilities of what music does I had this very simple and rather nagging thought and I think Deleuzians would not what would maybe even give me the argument of misunderstanding everything he said but to where <laughs> expanded perception to what end to like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean we can go after the pearl to what point and purpose <laughs> so expanded perception seems to be the sovereign good of art to Deleuze. Like, it's sort of the the bare fact. Like, like you can't interrogate it any further than that, maybe, to him? I mean, I guess. And I, I mean, I can see where he's coming from. Because, like, I do think that... I think it was you who told me, in order to get a 10 in a review on a book for me, it needs to permanently alter the way I see things after reading it like Like, there there needs mm -hmm. to be like a noticeable shift for the way that like i'm reading things thinking about things that's the only way you're getting to 10 status for me right but in expanding our perception in changing my view of being okay so like 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 great art changes my view on being as a whole the, the whole world and and myself and everything in it as as i fit or don't fit as a part of it but like okay so when i make that shift when i make that existential like movement don't i also lose a bunch of shit <laughs> absolutely isn't that the the tragic element of of let's say changed perception is that you, you lose something of what you were before. I do. I, I can't even sound like a broken record, but Mm -hmm. I, I think that that is an incredibly relevant topic for people who leave religions. Yeah. You lose this comfort of like, my belief will protect me from the terrible things in the world. But at the same time, like, it's kind of the cost of that that freedom from a lot of stuff is the, like, oh, there is no safety net. There's never been a safety net. I think that's why a lot of people like mm-hmm. me end up in therapy for anxiety stuff is 
I don't think we really acknowledge that a lot of the time. No. Because in the a, beginning, it's like, oh, I'm free of it. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. I don't have belief to believe one, these belief or, two, belief yeah. three, <laughs> <laughs> belief four. You know, insert next phase of development. Yes. Or I guess if it was expanded consciousness, is he really arguing the point that, like, when you move to a broader or more learned view on things you move from belief 1a to belief 1a2 to 1a22 is it always a series of additions or is there no subtraction because like this if it is it contrasts completely with someone like heidegger where knowledge is more like a light in a room that lights different parts of the room and there's this grappling with the fact that any movement you make will put something in shrouds Ooh, I, I think I'm a little more, if, if that is, you know, the claim that we're getting into from Deleuze here, I would, I don't know, I, I don't think it is an upward climb of your perceptions just are always making you more illuminated. I mean, I think that, like, to give him some credit, to give him a lot of credit, I think, like, it sounds nice, first of all. It sounds great. And then also, like, it does make each movement view the past movement in a different context. So, like, if I read a great novel, like, oh, God, there's so many, but, like, um, like Malaparte I love, but, like, there's so many novelists that I read that I love, but, like, or if I read James Joyce's, I love his short stories, Dubliners, and I, and I read those and then I view totally different about the whole short story, then maybe what is expanded consciousness is viewing all those stories you thought were great as now in the context of not being great and you would argue for your answer as being correct and more expanded and more knowledgeable and cool. But there is also a sense that like... If memory isn't important, then great. <laughs> like, like I think it's consistent. Like, I think the only problem with that is... I think memory's really important. Like, I... So, one of my biggest complaints on this one, when we got to the point where it's... He's like, the problem is of perception and not memory. Yeah. I... How are those two not inherently intertwined yeah it's like i don't know how this guy would have a reading of oedipus right like where like in a sense i can't get the read on him about tragedy versus comedy because <laughs> like i in my brain i guess i'm associating the return of something in on the tragic side like you want to move forward and you want to do all these things and have your expanded consciousness and life is good um and then like you know that kernel of repressed memory or, or, or whatever or, or just something in reality that's through circumstances uh returns in memory at the at the moment you're about to succeed Ooh. you know you go on stage about to play at carnegie hall and the ghost of your coal mining father walks i'm just making shit up but you know there ain't gonna be no fiddlers in this family <laughs> <sighs> and then you forget what piece you were playing and like I guess wouldn't Deleuze argue, like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, like, at your lower level of consciousness, like, you have that, but at a higher level, you'd learn that repression doesn't exist, and then you can deal with your father more thoroughly as a ghost, and just a machine that's getting in the way of a different machine. And I think that's fine, but I do think that in reading this, I'm brought back... When I was 18, and I would have heard that, I would have just been like, yes. This is true. Deleuze is right. Mm. Because at that point, I was so immersed in new sounds. Every day, I was hearing, oh, what does Balinese Gamelon sound like? Who are the top ten leading composers? How do they think? And it was an infinite parade of expanding new ideas. And I'm sure you've had those moments of, of beautiful expansion. Oh, it's like when you finally you know, get into a genre you had dismissed before and then suddenly it is just a series of like, oh, 
Oh. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, like, I mean, that was... Oh, I have so many once I... I don't know, I guess, altered perception on how I consumed music. Because, I mean, country was a big one that I just... My entire life, no, I just don't like yeah. country. Yeah, yeah. And then a little crack started, you're like, oh, I just don't like certain kinds of country. And then suddenly there is this just, like, endless flood of artists that you get to dive into. Same thing with um, reggae for me. Yeah. It, uh, it all sounds the same. It's all the same stuff. Yeah. Then you actually listen to it, like, no, oh, no, it's... It is, like, infinitely complex, and there are all these little things, just these yeah. tiny things they throw in there, you're like, oh, ooh! So on the, on that side of aesthetic experience, Deleuze writes, extending perception means making forces that are ordinarily imperceptible sensible, resonant, or visible. And that's, that's the experience we're talking about. Oh, yeah. And does he just live there? <laughs> like... Like, that sounds kind of great in a certain sense. <laughs> I mean, if, if that's the goal, I, 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 I would get it. I, I get that. But one thing... But yeah, what are the forces holding us back from that goal, right? Like, what, it's, what stops it's clearly that from being the goal? Because our perception needs to break with identity to which memory binds it. Oh. Could you say that again? Okay, so... I don't know. I, I guess I was reeling over like, what do you mean not memory? Because he follows up a very bold claim. The expanded perception is the aim of art. Yeah. Such a goal can only be reached if perception breaks with the identity to which memory binds it. I, I can buy that. So basically, the Lacanian imaginary is only present in memory. Like, like you, what, who you are is who you remember to be. Oh, sorry. I just took your claim and moved it somewhere else. Uh, I no, want to go back to your part of it. No, I like that. <laughs> but I like I, I can kind of get behind that. Yeah. Like especially with with music, um, I can't be alone in how our musical taste, what we choose to play, the instruments we choose to play. Yeah. Early on, our integral to your like in your own perception they feel integral to your identity yeah and then the more you get into your instrument more you learn about music yeah the less any of that matters right it just kind of doesn't anymore it's the shift like for me was like i don't really listen to music doesn't have a guitar in it why would i yeah because there's music that's good that doesn't involve your instrument. So like, like it's almost like, okay, so you're like in that frame of, of experience, your aim is repetition because memory is trying to bring you back to some psychoanalytic first hearing of a thing that really latched onto your identity. Like the first time I heard Shostakovich's fifth symphony, I was like, wow, what, what grander and, and whatever. And then you, like, try and replicate that. Oh. But if well, you're not having memory, you wouldn't care about replicating that. It's already been done. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, it, like, the, uh, like, the breaking out of, like, this, your perception tied to your memory with these things I felt was immensely freeing and actually playing and enjoying music yeah. a lot more when I'm not concerned with how it's going to be perceived on my identity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that like the answer I'm going to give is basically the answer I'm going to give is going to embrace what's called symbolic castration, which for Lacan is the first no of the father. <laughs> um, in another sense, I'm lifting that from psychoanalysis and that's my own interpretation of what I'm doing. But the heteronym that I write under named Perrin Williamson would just say yes. You know, you're going to write about song for this while, but the next motion is going to be whatever the next thing you're going to write about is. Hip-hop or death drive or whatever. But the heteronym Colton Jones 
is going to say, yeah, but Perrin, at that moment that you reach seminar 10 or lecture series number 10, that's when you didn't notice that you had repeated the first three already. No. And you're going to be stunned into this, this experience of repetition. And I think Deleuze would say, oh, well, like, you know, that's just because it wasn't as expanded as you thought. <laughs> like, you thought it was expanding consciousness, but you wound up doing repetition. I mean, I, I can give that to him. That is kind of what learning music is. You think you get it, and then they're like, all right, next level. And you're like, oh, never mind. I didn't have this ex- as nearly as expanded as I thought I did. Yeah, I guess. I guess. So, obviously, Deleuze is, is anti-Oedipus, anti Freud in numerous ways. Obviously, it's way more complicated than just like, here is a thinker I hate, here is a thinker I like, or whatever for for all of these thinkers. But he's going to try and move us past certain aspects of the Freudian paradigm in the 1950s through 90s. But for me, and when I say for me, what I mean is not for Perrin Williamson all the time, but for Colton Jones, the tragic aspect somehow gets left left alone like there isn't that tragic suddenness of having always had to have been a way that you weren't aware of like in a sense Deleuze is not obviously not pro-destiny but he also doesn't in this at least set up some sort of way in which that's how destiny works is you're not aware of it and then it arrives later. Huh. And that's in all of the music that I've written under Colton Jones. The reason why they're all usually tragedies is because of that, that you don't want the repetition to happen is when it, it comes in, it it jumps in and and Perrin Williamson would maybe say something along the lines of, well, that's how you expanded consciousness. Huh. And I know that, like, a reader would be like, oh, well, which one's right? And I would just be like, I can't tell you which one's right because of terms apply here, symbolic right? castration. These are arguments that that take place on a different level when you play them out in that way, I guess. Oh. Man, my, uh... My brain broke a little bit on that one. <laughs> I'm reeling a little bit from thinking about that stuff now. Well, it's like, imagine that you have a heteronym that you make that's a fictional identity that is a opiate addict. And you have one that's not. In the Deleuzean sense, he's going to say, okay, but is there a backgrounding structure to say which one's leading the show? And the best you can do is no. Mm. There's not a there's not one identity that leads. There's two contradicting views of life that in being both heteronyms of the same original author create art. <laughs> so like like it's not just like expanding consciousness. It's like what 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 I'm missing from Deleuze is conflict i'll just say it that i think that's what i'm missing is, is it, it doesn't seem like there's any conflict in here like he talks about diagonal space and that just seems like the least conflicted thing i've ever heard yeah like the the combination of these two things don't conflict they move diagonally and that's what creates and turns great music essentially um ugh. But he doesn't focus on the fact that they don't agree with each other at all. So, in contrast to that, another fun little thing that they had to do for, like, composing and arranging was creating, um, you know, like, four or five different dissonant chords. Like, Mm -hmm. purposefully dissonant but there had to be some sort of movement between the chords that still like made sense. And then writing a melody over the top of it 
but yeah. there's no bigger structure to write any of this stuff over. So, yeah. like, yeah, I mean, what I ended up doing for my piece is, like, using the repetition to create, <laughs> like, once you hear it enough times, suddenly it's not as unpleasant as the beginning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the more you repeat a dissonance in the same register and dynamic level, the more it becomes a consonance. Yes. Right? And even, like, the melody has very little to do with anything that's going on in the horizontal. Like, our horizontal and our vertical yeah. are not on the same path. It's only after a period of time the diagonal emerges out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great... It's a great and very well thought out piece, it sounds like. You know, it sounds like a really intentionally fantastic. I think... I think that a lot of the struggles we're talking about and the two viewpoints, like either, oh my God, I can live in this one option A, which Deleuze seems to be presenting here of like expanded perception as the goal. And I, by the way, even though I might sometimes shit on that, I, I like, that is my goal for reading philosophy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like an overall like... side quest in life for <laughs> yeah, me. It's for putting like... this in those terms. Yeah. Like that is... That's kind of the continual, ongoing, I'm collecting things in the world. Like, I'm trying to keep that running. Curiosity. Yes. And, and, and change, and willing to be just, like, beaten up by, like, oh my god, this is a good just, argument for I something know, I, I might be a trouble with. Might be a glut for punishment, <laughs> yeah. but I kind of enjoy having the rug ripped out from under me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think I think all of that is, is great, and in the Deleuzean perspective that we have beginning to be set up here of course we're going to read more to lose because he's a very important continental this, thinker yeah but b can be really mapped on to the work of a great composer the father of american music in a lot of ways which is charles ives which is that charles ives in the delusian sense is a composer who invented bitonality and liberated dissonance and had two com orchestras with needing two conductors and you have things not aligning you have a piece called halloween where it's the same thing played over and over again but each time more instruments enter until it's a giant cacophony at the mm. end like a, a fucked up round and it's great but the the psychoanalytic perspective would focus on a piece like the pond where he learned it all from his daddy. <laughs> like, like there's so much nostalgia and memory in Ives oh. that, that you totally miss that if you're just in a world of becomings and going. Begoings. Be Begoings. <laughs> and you, you miss that. It's a fundamental experience of Ives is not this imminently positive, there is an infinite number of combinations of sound and I'm going to show them to you. And I'm going to expand your mind. There's that, obviously, but there's also, you know, and, and like back when I was a child in the farm, like my dad used to play this and then he died of cancer or what, I don't know how his father died, but like, you know, there's, and that doesn't, it doesn't fit. But what makes Ives great is they're both there, mm. not one or the other. <laughs> you know, you have the memory of something human and tragic and real is part of Ives Ives listening to listening to his second sonata there's these the slow movement is gorgeous and it's very clearly nostalgic Ives is a modernist in the sense that he's liberating tonality and doing all these incredibly crazy experiments and on the flip side he is nothing if not nostalgic everything mm. is laden with nostalgia and so maybe and then, and then again, like, sometimes I get mad at Deleuze because then he set up his vertical. Well, that's the vertical. Instead of it being <laughs> harmony now, we have a verticality between nostalgia and and the smooth space would be the experimentation and the striated space would be the 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 return of the memory, I guess. It, or would it be the other way? I don't know. So, okay, so I got another piece yeah, yeah. that we can mess around with this on. The Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima. Oh yeah, fantastic piece. Everyone in the world should listen to it one time. And maybe twice. If you want to experience actual evil music, <laughs> that's what I think when I think evil music. It is not <laughs> heavy metal. That is 
That is what evil sounds like. But its effects without the title, without yeah. that return to that memory of the trauma of just I mean it is a fitting piece. The title could not be better. But it wasn't the original title for the piece. No, and that's and that's where if if you have the original title which is something like well, like piece number 10 or something, is something completely completely erased of anything connected to world events or trauma or anything like that then when you listen to it what you hear is smooth space i would say mm. you hear you hear this smooth entrance of different timbres that are that are fantastic and and, and suddenly it's not traumatic and this is where zizek is great this is this is where you actually have something that I think is more akin to my experience of it, which is the real horrifying thought that it's both, but not at the same time. It's the parallax view, right? Like, you're totally right. Like, you have either the view of these these series of extended techniques and noise effects and pizzicatos and Bartok pits and, and slides and, and different extended techniques, or you have anger in the worst of human expression. The worst of human existence, but but the I, title I, is what created the diagonal. But can you can you have them both at the same time? Can you have oh this is great these all these wonderful effects, you know the title lovely. made it hard to appreciate <laughs> the pioneering that was happening in it. Yeah, because it's just horrifying and suddenly becomes very visual. Yeah, uh, that that like of all of the. Like yes. newer music I listened to in school, that was the piece that has you like a lot of the music in that like genre does not have titles that evoke very real feelings of horror. They're usually very innocuous titles or irrelevant to anything that's going on. Yeah. Unless you know well, what the I mean, composer was doing. <laughs> like and Boulez's well, and then you have the opposite, which is lay people here. Boulez is polyphony 10 and they might go like oh that's awkward or oh that's that or you know you hear you hear a lot of any modern music to a layperson is going to connotate horror and oh that was actually a love song oh okay it was actually really nice in the lyric oh well okay like I don't know what to do with that then and I think that what Deleuze wants is that that perception of modern music can't be right. We have to. It can't be right. Break it with the identity to which memory binds it. <laughs> yeah. But like, my problem, and this is maybe just like an oh shucks podunk viewpoint, and not an elite modernist. We're moving forward through life to find new things. Viewpoint is that I want to, in my music, have the ability to horrify and have new things like i i, I want to be able to write a tragedy you know malaparte in music yeah i yeah, mean that's the whole point yeah exactly i mean to be fair the majority of like novels and literature that really like shook me and i was like wow that is that's like top of the list they're they're tragedies and the vast majority of the time. Yeah, and these diagonals just don't don't fully signify for me. Maybe. I I think I'm left a little wanting on on some stuff with it. Cuz I can definitely see it with some things, but I I don't know. So do you feel that the binary we've set up, just for some closing thoughts, is that if we have a spectrum, Deleuze is on the far right of this spectrum of the joy of extending perception and the late great Mark Fisher would be on the far left, where Mark Fisher is, you know, I mean, I mean, Mark Fisher committed suicide and, and he, he writes about 
the despair and I feel like he expanded his perception a lot from the little we've read from him and uh it's like two pages <laughs> we'll do them again soon don't worry but but like yeah like isn't there a sense that do, do, i mean i guess what i would say is that i miss a certain balance in Deleuze on something mm. that's really hard to pinpoint and I'm using the word tragedy, but I think a lot of people would take me to town for it and say, no, no, like, you're overwriting this. Like, you're seeing things that aren't there. Like, he's not against tragedy. He's just writing about something else. But, like, every thinker we've read so far, every single one of them, I haven't had this issue. I, I just I just haven't had... The only one maybe would have been the Lovecraft, but for completely different reasons, where... I don't get the whole of human experience in the writing here. Ooh. And, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the intention. He's touching on one thing. But when you make claims like expanded perception is the aim of art, you know. You open the door to what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I still, for the sake of just literally expanding my perception i'd say he was successful in these eight pages that we read here while i'm not entirely convinced by a lot of this stuff um i think he makes some good some like really good points on a lot of things here yeah like i would i would show an undergrad who's having like a lot of trouble with modern music and not the counting aspect just that really really simple thing like of like oh well it doesn't have it doesn't have a beat I remember when, so a TA, my dad was a professor of music theory and he had a TA and like the jazz musicians, they listened to like something by Stockhausen or, or it could have been messy on, I don't know who it was. And like, they were like, yeah, but would you listen to that in your car? And the TA was like, yes, <laughs> but like, <laughs> like, I think that this essay would actually maybe help those students who are struggling with being in a space and listening in an expanded way where it's like, well, what is the rhythm of the forest? What is the rhythm of a rabbit? What is the rhythm of life? What, whatever. And like, I think there is an incredible merit to getting students out of, if it ain't got that beat, it don't slap. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think that's where it's the highest merit for me. Yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, that was like the biggest thing that I definitely drew from this that I was like, yeah, I can relate to that was, you know, I, from a musical standpoint, before I actually started learning anything and the, uh, I think I know everything because I have taste that was developed very personally. I, I think he makes a great point about expanding perception because it's made me enjoy music and it, once again, there's a little bit of loss there. Because music used to be a far more personal, like, it's mine thing. Yeah. But I think that's where fucking gatekeepers and shit come from, is that mindset. Of yeah, like, I don't, I don't think Deleuze... You're so personally connected to it. Yeah, I don't... I don't... Um, I never have ever fostered in my classes that mindset. Because my what I do is embrace... Again, like, going back to a refrain I've said, is I, my method is embracing a degree of contradiction like well you know you can't like yeah boulez can't exist in the same world as minor threat but our imagination is big enough where you can enjoy both (laughs) you can actually have them both on repeat in your car and be multiple and in that way there is a connection to Deleuze there there is a very big connection to like you can expand outward in encompassing this and i think if that's what he means then i would just say yes but he's not taking into account the obscene obverse, which is when, I don't know, a heteronym murders the other one over a girl <laughs> who's also a heteronym <laughs> because one of their fathers didn't let them marry or I don't know, whatever. But like, but anyway, I think that's all I have to say about this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to read more of, more of his stuff, though. Yeah, I, very I, important I thinker. That. Um... He can write. I'm going to give him that. He can really write. And I really, I love reading him and I love 
torturing myself through. And uh, one last thing, we, we got like to a point where there are certain moments where he says something and I, I, if I paraphrase enough, he's actually saying something pretty banal <laughs> like in my brain, but that's okay. But yeah, I mean, even the, like the second half before he starts wrapping stuff up and it comes back around, there's a lot of that stuff in there that was going right over my head, but I still enjoyed reading it. Yeah, I had I had a good time and I also had a feeling that any stuff that we both didn't like personally identify with or connect to music... It'll come back, and I think there's, in eight pages, he moves a lot more of the world than we have time for in an hour. We didn't focus on those pages, and maybe we will at some point, but, yeah. Alrighty, well, thank you, Preston, for joining me. Well, thank you, Chris. Until next time.